0: that gave me the confidence to say like you know what worst case scenario is that i just make the money from these two right like i can do it i remember my very first month we build like two thousand dollars which freelance is cool but when it's two thousand dollars that's the only money you made and you've got like student loans and a house and car payments a little dicey
1: I've known Matt Adams for the better part of a decade. We've worked on some interesting projects together, which we'll reminisce about as we dive into how he's built an agency out of what started as a freelance career. We talk a lot about something that's hard for freelancers to talk about, and that's cash flow. Feast, famine, and client relationships have all been themes of this season of how I built it, And they are related to the same thing, managing your money properly so that you can survive as a business. Let's hear how Matt Adams does that. Hey, everybody, before we get started, I want to tell you about my online membership and community creator courses. So I know that when you want to learn something new, the natural thing you probably do is go to Google or YouTube. I do the same thing. And that's really great for one-off projects. I uh, used a YouTube video to learn how to change a light switch in my house. Uh, but I am not a big fan of YouTube for learning new skills, right? Because there are lots of videos on every topic. But which one is best and who do you trust? What order do you even watch the videos in? And will you get the support you need? These are all things that YouTube or other platforms potentially free videos can't do for you. So uh, I started Creator Courses a few years ago with the idea of uh, just putting online courses out there and I decided to morph it into a membership last year. So uh, stop wasting your time hunting and pecking for the right learning resources and tools. Over at Creator Courses, you can become a member and take all of the courses that we have to offer Uh, included in that membership and those courses focus on everything from just basic WordPress up to learning how to build websites without code something you don't necessarily need to do uh, in this day and age and all of the courses are developed by me uh, and if you listen regularly you know that I've been a developer for decades at this point And uh, I have lots of experience building websites. I'm a teacher at heart and I've created courses for LinkedIn learning and things like that. So uh, on top of the courses, we're also a community and members get access to forums and Slack and office hours with me. And so I just wanted to let you know about that and encourage you to join if you haven't already. Uh, listeners of the show, exclusively for listeners of the show, you can save 15% on all memberships, including the Lifetime membership. All you have to do is visit creatorcourses.com slash build. That's creatorcourses.com slash B-U-I-L-D. Thanks so much. Now let's get on with the show. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode of How I Built It, the podcast that asks, how did you build that? Today, my guest is Matt Adams. He is the head... Of intergalactic operations at Factor One. Matt, how are you today?
0: I'm great, Joe. How are you?
1: I'm fantastic. So, for some background for the listeners, Matt and I uh, have worked on and off together for several years at this point. Um, I I feel like it might we, be it might be ten. Uh, I was gonna say I think we were connected around the same time. I went to my first uh, an event apart, and that was 2010. Uh, so or 2011 something like that but it was before it was probably shortly before that so um very it's like a, a crazy thing to have a business relationship with somebody for a decade uh to me at least
0: i'm with you yeah. i don't feel that old so
1: yeah right. yeah exactly i'm like oh i'm only 34 years old um <laughs> in my case at least uh <laughs> but today i'm excited cuz uh we're going to talk about um how to stay sane growing from freelance to agency owner. You've been running, uh, well, I'll let you introduce yourself, but I'll just say you've been running uh, your agency factor one for uh, the last 15 years. Is that right?
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's been a, been a very wild ride, but it's been 15 years and it's hard to think that it's been that long. Cause again, I don't feel that old, but here we are,
1: man, that's, that's wild. So um, for the listeners, why don't you tell us a little bit about uh, who you are and, and what you do?
0: Yeah. So, um, I have a pretty diverse background. I you know, went to art school for traditional art, uh, learned some digital design along the way, thought that was pretty awesome. Uh, this is like early 2000, 2001. The web was starting to take off, and I was like, you know, this coding thing looks pretty awesome. Let's try that. And there was no courses, nothing like that. So I mm. just kind of got started. and uh, I got introduced to like WordPress at one point in time. I think it was like one point something, just before 2.0. And i was like, All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna start building some websites for people I know, and so I just kind of dove in. To be honest, um, there wasn't books. Like I looked, like I think I have like an HTML and a CSS book, and kind of just ran from there. Uh, I built a lot of Flash websites. Like I'll, I'll admit it, I I, I use Flash <laughs> a lot. I also yeah. built one of the only Flash CMSs using ActionScript, and we were wow. saving to a plain text file, and so my clients would like hit some special key command like Control e and it would bring out the editor put in a password and it was all all stored in plain text like it was all like just prime for hacking but no one figured it out wow. uh yeah flash websites were like the thing and we built awesome ones and then we'd have clients like what about a blog what about a podcast and what about uh, i want to stick an image in the middle of this text editor and it was always No, it's Flash. You can't do that. (laughs) Um, And so that's when I really kind of like dove more headfirst into WordPress, and uh, spent years in advanced WordPress. I mean, since heavily since like version two was released. So uh, to date, Factor One has created three hundred fully custom WordPress sites in the last fifteen years, and we actually still host about two hundred of them. So we kind of heavily maintain a lot of our clients over the years.
1: Wow, that's amazing, and and so. Um it sounds like we probably got into WordPress around the same time. I remember like 1.5 um was the first version I used and I never made flash sites but uh for those who Good don't you. know flash, stay,
0: stay flash I mean they were like
1: <laughs> the the way to do anything really like because um JavaScript wasn't nearly as powerful then as it is now and so flash was the way to do cool stuff
0: Exactly, and there was yeah, browsers probably couldn't even handle it back then. Anyway, with the JavaScript we use today.
1: Oh yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, so that's awesome. So you've been you've been making websites for, um, about fifteen years, and you started off kind of freelancing. Uh, when did you make the jump to being in eight a- to like kind of the agency world?
0: Yeah, so that was that was two thousand four. Um, I think I was working at a print agency and just loved the web. Also really hated my boss, which is always an excellent reason to quit and start your own company. <laughs> uh, my advice to people is always like, don't do it for these kind of reasons because you'll, you'll, you'll pay for it later. Yeah, But um, I just kind of on a whim decided like, you know what, I'm going to do this. I had one or two freelance clients uh, that were pretty consistent and then a few projects here and there. And it was those consistent ones that gave me the confidence to say like, you know what, worst case scenario is that I just make the money from these two right like i can do it i remember my very first month we billed like two thousand dollars which freelance is cool but when it's two thousand dollars and that's the only money you made and you right. got like student loans and a house and car payments uh a little dicey uh and my wife actually didn't have a job at the time either she had just gotten laid off
1: wow
0: so i looked back and i was like god i was an idiot but it worked out um what better time to take a risk than when you're young and dumb. Uh, yeah,
1: absolutely. I start, I went out full on my own after my daughter was born. I'm like, yeah, new kid, wife on maternity leave. Now's yeah. a great time. A, yeah, Perfect time. Yeah. <laughs> um, but
0: you know what? I look back on it and I do appreciate it because my back was up against the wall. Like I didn't have, I don't have rich family, parents, anything mm-hmm. like that. Like I had nothing to fall back on. Um, and so it was one of those like, just, Hustle and grind and get it done because there's not a plan B. There is no option. There is no, uh, there's no backup plan. And, and I didn't even see like the idea of going back and getting a job somewhere else as a, it wasn't even an idea. Like that, that was dumb. Why would I do that? This is what I'm doing. Uh, so it really forced me to be all in, which I do appreciate and still would stand by it today. Of like, you know what? Be all in or don't do it. Uh, contingencies are just they give you a reason to hesitate. I think.
1: Yeah, right, absolutely. You have uh, they talked about that in like a friends episode, right? They told Rachel to quit so that she had the fear to actually pursue a job she wanted to. Absolutely. Um, and and yeah, it's the same, right? Like you have when you have real stakes, you got to make real decisions. And I think that's part of the conversation we're we're having today, right? Is uh at least for me, when I was just kind of freelancing, I was like, yeah, you know, I'll charge this, I'll make some money, I can support myself and now I'm like, "I need an actual income plan because I yeah. have a house and a kid and another kid on the way as we record this, and um right I heard congratulations, yeah, oh, thank you very much. We're super excited, um and just i I can't just be like, Oh, yeah, I'll just charge like two thousand dollars for this website, and it'll be great, and I'll keep most of it and then pay a little bit for taxes,
0: yeah, like I'm not a big fan of hourly rate pricing mm. uh, we haven't i probably haven't done hourly rate pricing here at factor one in probably 14 years uh we started that way maybe initially but quickly moved on to more of a project rate uh but even then like so many freelancers don't even know what their hourly rate should be yeah they just kind of pick they, they'll ask around and see that what their friends are charging and they'll use some sort of justification of like i'm better than them or they're better than me or they've been doing it longer so they can charge a little more. I'll just be a little less than them. Or it's a competitive thing of, I want to be a little less than the guy next door so that Mm -hmm. I can win the job. And so we end up with an entire ecosystem of freelancers who have just made up baseless, uh, dollar rates. And they're like, you know, it's anywhere from $50 an hour to a hundred and something an hour. And most of them have no real foundation where they came up with that number. And so, uh, I actually do a little bit of like workshops here and there, um, here in the Phoenix area for AIGA, uh, which is a a professional design association. uh, And there's chapters in every city, but here in Arizona, I kind of pioneered the business of design model of like, let's teach, let's teach freelancers how to do this. I ended up creating a calculator because so many of them had no clue. And so I just worked backwards. Like how much do you need, how much do you need to pay yourself to live? How much does it cost for your, your software, your Adobe, your, you know, your hosting fees, like what are you paying every single month? So I actually built out an entire worksheet and I can actually share it with your, um, in the show notes, Joe. Uh, But it's, you know, really great to just work backwards. And then even pick what what do I want my profit to be? Like I want to make my, you know, make this dollar amount this year, but I also want to have like a bonus. I want to say like, if I get this number, I want it to be a 10 or $20,000 bonus in the year uh, and call that my profit. So really treating yourself as an employee that's a cost of goods sold and then you have your owner bonus on top of that so even as a freelancer you can think with that mindset uh and it works backwards and the other real key thing is knowing your actual hours are available in the week like everyone's like oh there's you know i'll work 40 hours a week like when are you going to do invoicing when are you going to follow up Mm -hmm. when are you going to work on your sales and your marketing and go to that event and you know meet with that client like is that all billable no it's not and so you got to really think through like 20 30 hours a week of true billable time uh, i mean we're an agency uh you know we have a you know staff of five and we're sitting here and, and i know that my production staff is only truly billable 25 hours a week uh, we're not here 40 we run a little bit of a different kind of a mm-hmm. different kind of a work model here where we only work about 35 hours a week we kind of just take half day fridays and get out of here early nice. uh, and then Fridays in general are learning days. So we actually use them as in house time, developing new projects, new tools, new resources, reading, sharing, teaching, kind of just growth days. Uh, so you know, I only have like four working days. And then you guys still got to account for meetings and stuff. And so you know, I'm saying a full time production employee is only available 25 billable hours a week. And I find that's shockingly accurate for freelancers too, is that you only have 25 hours of actual production time unless you're burning the candle at both ends right uh so you gotta work backwards off of 25 not 40 or not 50 uh you know 50 50 billable hours a week is unsustainable and so you gotta work backwards off that like 25 or 30 number and that's all you're available And is it you know what's your number i was once i built the calculator and used it myself i was actually shocked we had to raise because we're not hourly but i had to raise my kind of baseline of like oh we should you know we need to pad our numbers a little bit more i'm not accounting it you know the right number
1: yeah that's so so that's super interesting. You raise a lot of really good points there um the first being like figure out what you need to make to live right I mean, that's like if you go into a full time job, you probably have an idea of how much you should make in a year. You're not just gonna be like, Oh well, it seems like I should make this much you you need to take a job that will pay you what you can to live um the same thing as you said, should go with freelancing. You need to figure out how much money you need to make, or if you are leaving your job, um, you know, can you replace your income, or were you getting more than you needed to get paid? and so what can you live on up until that point and pay yourself accordingly? Um, yeah. I read a fantastic book a couple of years ago, and I immediately implemented the system, but profit first. Um, oh, that's that's where I got some of the model from. Love yeah, that book. Yeah, so good because it, it it really makes sure that um, you are paying yourself and you're putting a little bit of uh, a little bit of money aside for a bonus. And uh, my first bonus of the quarter uh for 2020 is going to go partially to um our baby moon of sorts. We're going to Disney World. Nice. Um yeah, and we're going to go I'm a huge Star Wars fan. I'm going to build a lightsaber at Galaxy's Edge. Um it costs $200, which seems like an outrageous amount for me to build a lightsaber, but I love Star Wars, so don't at me. Um but this is not this is money <laughs> that like my family is never going to see. My business is not reliant on it. It's like legit just money for me to have fun with and I will have a lot of fun doing that.
0: Absolutely. No, that's the way to think of it too is that, that profit first mindset. I mean, you know, we don't run hourly, but we still try and calculate the work we do mm-hmm. loosely in hours. We need to know that I'm not wrong. Um, you know, we try and build actually not even project based. We've moved a little bit past that to um, a little bit more valuation based. Like, what's this, what's this worth mm-hmm. um, in terms of an investment? If I, can, if I can provide you millions of dollars worth of revenue um, with the work that I'm doing, Isn't that worth 5 or 10% of that millions of dollars, not $20,000 because that's what the hours come up to? Uh, But we still want to double check all of our hours. I want to make sure that I'm not wrong in some of that space. And so we will still run our hourly calculations like, hey, this project is 250 hours uh, and it's going to take this many weeks to produce that 250 hours. And then I know that my minimum billing on that is at least my hourly rate plus 25%. Uh, so I could say, Hey, this $10,000 project really does need to be, you know, closer to 12,000. Uh, dollars and then I still want to look at the client and be like, you know, this, this thing's really worth like 30. Um, cause I'm taking the risk and I'm doing it right. And I'm doing it these ways. Nobody else in the market can do it this way. So it's worth 30. Uh, but I still started with my baseline hourly rate and I still started with profit in mind. Uh, those are, those are line items on an Excel sheet for every project we take in. And the profit is the first line. What profit is here?
1: Yeah. D- yeah. So that's, I think that's as a freelancer.
0: I, I, as a freelancer, I wish I would have thought that way. It was usually just like, you know, I'm, what's the minimum I can bill for this? And let's, you know, what's, I really undervalued myself a lot. I would say, like, this is, this takes me 10 hours, but oh, I should have gone faster. So I'm only going to bill for five. And so I, I shortchanged myself a lot mm. just from a poor mindset. Um, you know, I wasn't really a, a Negative person. I've always really positive, but for some reason or another, I kind of had like a devaluation of my own self, mm-hmm. and so it took me years to get past that.
1: Yeah, I mean, I so I had a, a conversation um, with uh, Nathan Ingram. Uh, his episode mm-hmm. is airing um, aired last week, as this episode comes out. So, um, but we talked about how like we like to help people, and how do we reconcile that? with um, with kind of charging, right? Because we want to help people get their website up and running. How much do we tell them or help them with versus what do we bill them for? And it's the same kind of thing, right? Like, especially when you like what you do. These oh, yeah. are all things that you really need to think about.
0: It's tough because I'm there too. I, I was really raised with a, a helping others mindset. I get a lot of personal value out of helping people. Um, so what I've had to do is I've had to separate business from personal missions. Mm -hmm. Business exists to create revenue for the owners, um, to create payroll for the team, and to create a product for the customer. It doesn't exist to give you personal self-worth. It doesn't exist to give you a pat on the back that you didn't get as a child. Uh, It just can't. Uh, Because at the end of the day, these customers, as, as lovely and as amazing as most of them are, um, I love some of my customers. I've had customers for 10 years that if I am in town, I will make plans to see them. I will fly just to have lunch with one of them. I was in Chicago a week, ago, or I know, ah, two weeks ago, right before Christmas, I was in Chicago. Yeah. And know uh, yeah, it was just one of those clients I was like, hey, we'd love to just you know, chat before the holidays and plan out some stuff and let just have lunch. I flew to Chicago, had lunch, met with the client for an hour, flew home. Worth it. But at the end of the day, these people, are still in it for their business. They're here for them, you know their missions, their objectives. And they're not technically your friends. And you need to keep that mm-hmm. at bay because while you are really friendly and can be really close, uh, there needs to be the ability to sever that relationship at any point in time. That's not really the way you think of friends or family. Uh, but in business, that's the way it is. Someone will just, you know, hey, I'm going to hire somebody else. Uh, we've lost a huge project once because the client... The client's little brother opened a web dev studio and took all the business to them. I cannot fault them at all for that. Yeah. Totally get it. Do I have opinions on whether it was the right move or not? Of course I do. Um, but at the end of the day, like, it didn't matter how close of a business friendship we had. It was gone like that. And if right. I hadn't in- intentionally sought out my own profit and protecting my own bottom line, you know that's all gone, as the rug, the rug got pulled out from underneath me from no fault of my own. Uh, no matter how wonderful and helpful we were and how, how much value we provided the client, how much value they provided us, gone in an instant. Uh, and so you just got to remember, like we're here to help them. We're here to do good work, and we're here to be to honor our own process, honor our own bank account. And it's not that it needs to be greedy, but at the end of the day, you you have to still look out for yourself. And so I go to the, you know, the PRF Drucker model of like, the purpose of business is to create a customer and to create a profit.
1: Yeah, I think, and I think that's great, right? Because you're right. That's, um, for for me, it's my job to make sure I'm providing for my family. No other business owner is going to be closer to me than my wife and daughter, right? Just like, there's yeah. no way that, Anybody who was not that guy's brother would be closer to him than his brother. Um, Absolutely. So, like, y- you, you do have to think about that stuff um, and realize that you offer a, a good service. You should charge what you're worth. Help when you can. I, you know, you mentioned value based pricing. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I might, if, if a nonprofit, like a legit nonprofit organization, not like the NFL,
0: um right. I guess that's a little bit
1: dated, right? Because they're not they went to a profit model or whatever. Um
0: They did. They did. They didn't yeah. want they didn't want transparency on their books anymore. Yeah.
1: <laughs> they wanted to hide that's all, exactly what it was. I know, right? Yeah. They wanted to hide all that concussion hush money, I guess. Um well this this podcast just got more political than it's ever gotten. Um but uh <laughs> <laughs> um but I mean, you know, a legit nonprofit, like you know, if if I can do something for I don't know twenty percent less than what I would normally charge because they actually need it, then yeah, I'll do that. Um, but you know, yeah, like you be, said, be careful tar- with
0: that though. Right. There's a right. uh, there's a lot of nonprofits that make a lot of money. Um, yes.
1: Yeah. That's and, and, yeah. That's a they're, really they're good doing point. okay. Yeah. I've um I've explicitly said that to some of my own students where I'm like nonprofit doesn't mean make no money. Um, and they'll all yeah. they will all try to make you think that, um, but I'm you know yeah. I I have a couple of specific examples in mind where they legit were not making any money, um, but they still yeah, needed like different. at least a and donation I mean, form, right?
0: So. You know, one of the things, right? Exactly. One of the things for me was I actually had a, a mentor tell me this: is like stop getting the value and your personal self worth out of helping people that you're billing. Um, and find other channels for that. And so, you know, I started volunteering more in, in my like design and creative community. So I joined the board, like I'm on the board mm-hmm. of AIGA Arizona. And so I find value in, in that. I'm helping others in different ways. And so I'm getting, I'm getting that self worth bucket fulfilled outside of work. Um, I'm, I'm making sure that I, I nurture personal friendships just as much as I nurture a business relationship. Um, uh, so putting in the same kind of effort and it, this sounds super analytical and, and luckily none of my personal friends are, um, developers or creatives <laughs> in this space, but they're, uh, and won't hear this, but like I put them on a calendar. They're on a, they're on a drift. Like I get a reminder that, Hey, has it been six weeks since I followed up with John? I should send him a quick email. Um, and it's just cause my head is so full that like I do that for sales. I do that for current customer relationships. Why can't I do it for friends? Yeah, um, for sure. So, you know, I'll I'll put them on, I'll put them on like a a nurture campaign, right? Like it sounds so, (laughs) so formal, but, um, you know, there's just, we're all busy and you see each other on social media, but you forget to stop and say, hey, let's grab coffee. Uh, How are you? Like, let's really slow down, not just like each other's posts on social. So I have to give myself those nudges. Otherwise, I might forget because all of my other nudges and pushes on my CRM are for business relationships.
1: Yeah, that's really I mean, I think I'm gonna steal that. I
0: one one weird trick you learned on this podcast.
1: Yeah, right. Cause I mean that's <laughs> perfect example. My friend Kat, um, one of my best friends from college, um, texted me after, you know, I posted online that my wife is pregnant again. And um she congratulated me and we asked how she asked how I was doing and I for the life of me could not remember if she was pregnant with her third and I wanted to ask how it was going but then I was like I didn't see anything on Facebook about it mm-hmm. I was right but you know I if I had like jotted that down somewhere or like had a little nudge to be like ask Kat how she's doing you know like I wouldn't have had this like crisis of conscience where I'm like I'm such a bad friend I can't even remember if she's pregnant um So, you know, I think, I think that's really cool. I've also told my wife that like, if something is not on the Google calendar, it does not exist in my world.
0: Oh, that's same. Yeah. (laughs) Another, another pro tip only have one calendar. I used to try the, the work calendar and the home calendar and then my own personal calendar. Like if I'm, if I'm off to the dentist, I'm off to the dentist. Like I shouldn't be available on my work calendar just because I'm personally doing something in the middle of the day. Uh, And like I know, Joe, you use Calendly. Like Calendly can only sync to one calendar. So, right, I live out of one calendar. I just color code things. Like, hey, the purple things are home, and the green things are personal, and the blue things are work, and that's the end of it.
1: Yeah, 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 absolutely. If if something is taking up my time, it is on the my one calendar. Um, Yeah, my wife has her own that is synced with mine. Um, But if it's like something that. You know if we're going to like a concert or something, it goes on both of our calendars. Um, hers is mostly used for her work yeah. schedule. Uh, yeah, so I'm um, well, just talking
0: about freelancers yeah. and calendars like, calendar out your, your sales time and your marketing time and your networking mm-hmm. time and your, your internal production time because that was something that I just constantly would just back burner and forget for the sake of production because production's billable. I can, if I can get this project done, I can bill the client and that's money in the bank. But I would do that at a cost of skipping a networking event and mm-hmm. not going to the seminar or this workshop that I wanted to go to. Uh, I'd skip out early on a, on a word camp maybe and go to work because that was important. Um, you know, don't confuse short term gains for long term goals. Because if I skip networking and marketing events, well, while I'm busy now, that means I might have a lull in three to six weeks or three to six months that these projects take to get in. And so I've gotten really diligent on my calendar to actually book out sales and marketing time. And so I have a, uh, you know, it's, it's, I try and review it every two weeks uh, to know what's going on. And so I look every two weeks to make sure that I have the right networking and the right events on my calendar. And if I don't, I will still block time to do my own networking. Like uh, if there's not a networking event next Wednesday when I normally have one, great. I'm gonna block that time off still and I'm gonna go through my CRM and touch anybody who I haven't reached out to in a while.
1: Yeah, that's great. Um so, so like
0: like like plan for that time. Because like again, you can only work 25 hours a week, or you should only work 25 to 30 hours a week. Fill the rest of the time with your accounting time and your personal time and your time to work out and rest and you know, go to the movies, but also you know that sales time and that you know nurture client time
1: today's episode is brought to you by smile and their product text expander save time typing and boost your productivity with text expander you know i'm all about automation and text expander is a great way to get started with automation it allows you to create your own snippets for repetitive text you tend to use everywhere add the text create a snippet and boom save precious time and keystrokes one of my favorite snippets is for my address. So instead of typing out my full address and risking typos, I simply type $ADDR and Text Expander does the rest, filling in my full address for me. I also have snippets for my street, my city, and my zip code. But that's not all Text Expander does. With its advanced snippets, you can create fill-ins, pop-up fields, and more. You can even use JavaScript or AppleScript. Another one of my favorite and most used snippets is when I type PPT. That will take whatever text I have on my clipboard and convert it to plain text. So I'm no longer fighting formatting when I copy from a Word document, a Google Doc, or a plain HTML page, like a website. I also use it for common links, email messages, which I can completely customize with fill-ins and drop-down menus, and even date calculations. I'm currently writing a book, and TextExpander has been instrumental with that. TextExpander is available on macOS, Windows, Chrome, iPhone, and iPad, so pretty much anywhere you do computing. If you've been curious about trying TextExpander or automation in general, now's the time. As a listener, you can get 20% off your first year. Just visit textexpander.com slash podcast and let them know how I built it sent you. That's TextExpander.com slash podcast for 20% off your first year. And now, back to the show. There are a couple of things where we can totally bring it right back. And one is calendar out your time. And the other is um, I want to ask you about kind of time tracking and maybe the tools you use. But let's talk about calendaring out your time. Because I very recently just started aggressively time boxing. So, uh, it's, it's not that I'm for this one hour, I'm going to do this one thing, but it's more like, I mean, you saw my Calendly, right? So I only record podcast episodes on a specific day and that day is dedicated to podcasting. So I don't have to, um, context switch or anything like that. If I have like business meetings, I'm going to really try hard. Uh, I'm not inflexible about it because I know that other people have other schedules. But I'm going to try very hard to make those Mondays because traditionally Mondays are my least productive days. Anyway, Tuesdays and Fridays are my most productive mm-hmm. days, so those are like my deep work days. Um, do you do something similar, or or is it more like based on your production schedule over the next weeks? So you just add specific time boxes where you can.
0: So I'm a little unique where. My company is just large enough where I don't do a lot of production, if any at mm-hmm. all. Um, I have handed over all of the, the keys to development and creative to others at this point that are smarter than me. And they really are. There are times where I dive in to help. And, you know, like uh, one, of our, one of our developers was on her honeymoon. She came back and I was like, I did this, this, and this. And I, I had to fix this you might want to look at it because I definitely duct taped it. Like there's a band aid <laughs> and some duct tape and some string holding this together because the development is so much further advanced than I ever got that yeah. I, I duct taped it to get it back up and running or to fix what the client needed. But like, you might want to touch that later and fix that for me. Like, <laughs> yeah. so I, I'm definitely unique where I don't have as much production as I used to, but I still have production in the business development that I have to do. And so I do box that time out. Um, it's not so much day oriented as I do um, like in the day, not week oriented like the day of the week, but mm-hmm. I do have times in the day that I know are my sweet spots. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a book called When by Daniel Pink, and it's really that there's three or four different types of people with circadian rhythms. I'm an early morning person. Mm-hmm. I get up at like five o'clock religiously since I was like ten without an alarm rain or shine like maybe it's like i'm not feeling well i might sleep in but i just don't sleep yeah. in. like sleeping to six is like a, an anomaly and it's weird uh wow. so i'm an early morning person <laughs> and so like i get some of my best work done first thing in the day and so i actually schedule that so i take that mindset of like this is what i'm the most productive and i'm most productive in these ways and so i try and find the work that fits that productivity pattern for me um and then obviously I have to deal with the fact that not everyone else is up at 6 a.m. ready mm-hmm. to chat on a phone call like I am. So I find other things to do. Or I have clients all around the world. So I will make sure I will, I'll I'll make 6 a.m. phone calls to clients on the East Coast because they're two or three hours off from me. Uh, so I have no problem with that. It works out really, really well. Uh, but then I also know like after lunch is a low spot for me. But social interaction mm-hmm. gives me energy. So I will regularly schedule meetings one and two o'clock in the afternoon because that's when oh, I have... Wow a circadian rhythm low but i can offset it with a social extrovert high and so yeah. it works out really well so i actually find times that either either complement my natural circadian rhythms or offset them uh, but try not to work against it so to speak like I, that's the reason why i don't want to do i wouldn't do creative or development work after lunch because i want to take a nap
1: yeah well well uh, we sound very similar. I wake up around five thirty every morning and I use last year. I took an approach that was like, I'm not going to go to the office for like the first hour of the day or whatever. But once I have my coffee, like I really get into it. So I get in about an hour's worth of work before my daughter wakes up. Um, and then I, I really like what you said about like maybe scheduling meetings for like right after lunch, because I'm the same way. I feel like I got shot with a tranquilizer dart, like right after lunch. Um, Right. And and you know uh, those social interactions also help me. So I'm I'm gonna link that and, book and in the show notes. Different. So yeah, yeah, yeah and for everyone's
0: sure. different. There's there's people who are just the most productive in the evenings and at night. Mm-hmm. And awesome, that's when you get your production work done. That's when you can get your your invoicing and your accounting taken care of. Uh, you still gotta find that time for meetings and such. But you know, schedule a nap. Like I th- believe Winston Churchill was uh, big on naps. Like. Yeah. And even, even the biography of Benjamin Franklin was like, work till three, take a nap, take a lifelong nice bath, and then wake up and do more work. And I'm like, that's what worked for them. Like, they didn't have a nine to five dictatorship of a job schedule. And so, right. as freelancers, I mean, if you're moonlighting to a regular day job, you know, you can use some of that to your advantage. You can say that, hey, I'm really productive from 10, 10 p.m. to 1 a.m. and just work around that and embrace it. Not trying to fight it so much because of you know social norms as much as you can. Um, still, some things are you know, Target still only open regular business hours and
1: right, and some, right. But
0: you know, yeah. there's so there's some things you got to work through. But I have a friend who's an insomniac and uh, and just has just terrible sleeping patterns. And she's like working at two and three a.m. all the time. And so, as a freelancer, actually, it works out really, really well for her because she's able to get a ton of work done. And you know, in, in her her case. She found that partnering with agencies solves a lot of that problem, so she became an outsource, like just overflow work for a couple of different agencies in town um so that they're doing the meetings during the day they're they're talking to the clients during the day when she's sleeping and able to like knock these things out in the middle of the night, and so she found partners to help her in that space so that she doesn't have to go to a meeting at two p m um, you know because she works so late so And it just works out really well, you know, for whatever works for you and find ways to complement that as much as you can.
1: Yeah, that's, that's brilliant. And it's like one of the things that's afforded to freelancers or, um, you know, small business owners. Um, so we've, we've been talking for a bit about a bunch of things. Um, (laughs) but maybe, maybe we can, uh, as we kind of come to the, the end of our, our general interview here, um, What was it? uh, Let me actually, let me start here. If somebody is a freelancer thinking of making the jump to agency owner or even bringing on a single employee, what do you think are like the main two things they need to do?
0: Yeah, so you you cut out for just a second, but you were asking for the the main two things they need to know about or need to plan for when they're jumping from kind of freelance to full-time freelance or freelance with an employee.
1: Yeah, yeah. So if they want to start an agency um, or even just bring on another employee, what what's maybe the first two things the freelancer should think about?
0: Uh, definitely think about overall cash flow and forecasting. So when you take on all the extra expense of another employee or even just yourself going full-time where this is your only source of income, you really need to make sure you have Thirty to sixty days pipeline in front of you. It doesn't have to be cash on hand, but it needs to be like committed. It needs to be a contract. It needs to be an invoice that's maybe net thirty something somewhere where along the lines you can look and say, "Hey, it's January. What money do I have in February? And where is there a gap?" Uh, that's where so many people get in trouble is they just don't have enough of a of a runway, so to speak. You know, if you think about like startup space. Um, having a runway is the most important thing and the, the bigger the team the bigger the runway is necessary and so you know we've had a couple ups and downs throughout the years I, mean, I went through I mean I owned a I had staff through the 2008 recession uh, you know 2017 2018 were or hard years for us as well as we transitioned and pivoted a little bit same thing I had to watch that runway like a hawk like I knew exactly when invoices were due and when payments on things were due and so that that cash flow forecasting was the most important thing that i i had to deal with and i would find and leverage projects that hey if you pay me in 15 days or if we get started now i'll give you a couple hundred dollar discount or a thousand dollar discount on this project because i was i was betting against cash flow and Mm. so because i knew that so i wouldn't i wouldn't you know be a stickler for that dollar of like hey it's a $20,000 project, the end, where I could say, hey, you know what, we can get started a little earlier for you. Or if you're willing to maybe make, instead of making two 50% deposits, let's do, let's do thirds, let's do quarters, uh, but you got to do it now. Uh, so I would actually leverage those kind of accounting tools to help mitigate, mitigate any of my cash flow issues. So if I knew that like, hey, I'm, I've got payroll in a week and a half and I'm $1,000 short. What can I do between now and then to get $1,000 in the door, cash on hand? Uh, so that was one of the biggest things, just always being aware of that. Because uh, you're now in a business owner seat. Like You aren't just production, especially as a just getting started, you're easy to be production and then hire somebody else to also be production. But you have to watch cash flow even more, because now you just doubled your overhead, most likely. Uh, and in, in all of most creative agencies, development shops, you know, we're so staff heavy. Like, our biggest expenses are people. The office is cheap. The internet's cheap. You know, Adobe licensing isn't that big. Of a, I mean, I guess it is an arm and a leg. Uh, <laughs> Relative <laughs> Adobe, to, like,
1: buying a storefront, though, it's not. <laughs>
0: <laughs> exactly, yeah. You know, having inventory. Like, we don't have inventory. And, and, I, you know, huge props to anyone who starts, like, a restaurant. You have inventory that literally expires in two days. Right. Uh, right. You know, so, here, it's, like, people is the most expensive thing. And so, you need to make sure you watch that. So, uh, you know, one big thing for us that's been super helpful in that financial space is we are working off of last month's income. So, you know, we're recording this here in January, my January payrolls, my rent, my, my, um, you know, everything else here is, is built on being paid with money I earned in December. Uh, so the money I'm earning now in January is money for February. Uh, and yeah, that's, that's an invoice standpoint, not just, not just actual cash on hand. So that's one of those things that's just super helpful to kind of maintain on my end is that always watching that cash flow and always knowing where the money's coming from so that I'm not essentially check to check, you know, waiting for that next invoice to pay the next payroll. Like, that's where things get dangerous. Uh, so that's been big. The other thing is just the right paperwork and just the right communication along the way. Like, we document everything. Um, I will not take verbal approvals. Uh, if they approve something on the phone, I'm like, great, you know what? I'm going to shoot you an email. I'm going to ask you for X, Y, and Z approval, and I need you to respond back yes. Uh, we've even gone a step further, and we actually have like contract-level sign-offs for design and development approval. So when we deliver mm-hmm. a design and someone says, yes, it's approved, great, we're going to take all of these JPEGs from our project management system. I'm going to stick them in a document that says, I'm approving this for design, for layout, for function and for like content flow images and the actual copy can be changed in the cms but everything else is approved anything changing this will affect my cost and my timeline and it's it's funny how slow people pause on that one they'll approve something like that i'll upload a new you know I'll upload a new design and, great approved go ahead and start development like okay, great here sign off on this and like all of a sudden three days go by right like yeah and I have a, we use PandaDoc for our, um, our documents for that, like our contracts, and legal things. And you'll see that Susan opened this PandaDoc 13 times in the last two days. Like, oh, Susan's getting real picky and really making sure that we dotted the I's and crossed the T's. Excellent. Uh, that cut down revisions, like you wouldn't believe, uh, versus just the verbal approval or the quick email approval, uh, so we try and really just document everything and try to make sure everything is clear as possible, because the rule on that is that if it can be misunderstood, it will be misunderstood in the wrongest way possible, uh, and work backwards from there. Right? Like <laughs> if yeah. they if they you hear your tone wrong, it's the worst way possible. If the design is wrong and they improve it, it's you know in the worst way possible. So when you document as much as you can, it's hopefully as clear as possible along the way.
1: Yeah, that's that is great advice. I when i was um when i do videos i require a signature on the script because the script is um the final sign off before i actually start producing the video so um we have the script and we have the screen actions and and the client has to sign off on that because uh revisions after that yeah. are, are costly so um yeah i think that's exactly it's, yeah. it's
0: time and money i mean it it might be a 10 minute change but it's a ten-minute change that turns into a twenty. That turns into two more changes. The next thing you know, you're like, "We lost track of all the changes." So it's not for me. Yeah. It's not about the ten minutes. It's about the snowball that it creates, and then the, the right. time. Because now all of a sudden, we're talking about a design change that was approved. Uh, we, so it gives you it gives you an easy backbone, and then you just call it policy. Like, "Hey, it's our policy to do this." Like, you make air quotes the policy, right? The bad guy, like, "Oh, it's not yeah. me. It's our policy. It's our
1: policy." It doesn't yeah.
0: matter if I'm a person of one, like it's my policy to not start work until I have a deposit, the end. Right. Nothing against you. You're an excellent client. I'm sure you're going to pay, but we just we just have a policy. Right. Yep. Uh, and I mean, <laughs>
1: you you explain the benefit of that too, right? Like I say, I require a signature on the script because in the past I didn't. And then, um, you know, the script had to get changed and then that ended up costing the client an extra thousand dollars on this video.
0: And okay. I don't want
1: you to pay another thousand dollars because you didn't like the wording somewhere. Or someone exactly. didn't like the wording somewhere, right? So, um, yeah, I think that's great. So, uh, yeah, so just clarity always and then
0: watch that money. I mean, that's the yeah. hardest thing.
1: Yeah, and I, it is. Watching the money, especially, I'm going to, from experience, if you are a freelancer who is just starting out, it's really easy to just deposit all that money in your personal account and then worry about it later. But, uh, I would encourage you to read profit first. Right, have a separate account for your bank account. Don't use PayPal as your business money. I know a lot of people do that. Um, when yeah, I get
0: that's that's a dangerous one anyway because yeah, PayPal right. is an FDIC insured. Like PayPal can yank your money for no reason at all. Right, and they can just say, hey, uh, you violated our terms and conditions.
1: Right. So, as soon yeah. as I get a notification that I have money in PayPal, it gets added. It yeah. gets transferred out. Absolutely. Um, so, you know, think about that. Put aside money for taxes. That's really important. And that's something that could bite, you know, new, new freelancers. Um, and that runway. like ha- Runway was something I, I was very cognizant of, especially when I went out on my own. I explained to my wife, we've got six months runway. If I make absolutely no money, I will find a job before our right. runway runs out.
0: Well, there's another factor there on runway is like, well, I have six months of money, but when do I need to start looking at the job site? Right, like, is it right. a two-month job window? Like, okay, great. So you have four months of true runway, and then two month, you know, two months of, you know, the overflow runway, the emergency runway, right?
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, uh, awesome. Well, uh, this has been, I think, a really helpful conversation. We talked about time, you know, managing your time, watching that uh, cash flow, and some things that some important staples that you should do when you take this from maybe like a hobby to a business Um, or just a side gig to a business. Uh, I do need to ask you my favorite question though, which is, do you have any trade secrets for us?
0: Uh, You know, trade secrets is a tough one. Uh, You know, I get asked on a regular basis, you know, we've been doing this for 15 years. So like, uh, what's, what's your secret? My secret is like, show up and do honest work. Like, it sounds kind of ridiculous, but in the web space and creative space, like we are full of flaky people who will just like disappear. Um, I rescue clients so often from bad designers, bad developers who just disappeared, who just stopped wanting to do the work, for whatever reason. And so we win work and we keep work because we do what work say, we do exactly what we say we're going to do on time and on budget every single time.) Uh, it's really hard to beat, but the bar is so low. Like, so that's my, like, mm-hmm. it sounds like a terrible secret, but trust me, if you start being the only one in your neck of the woods that's, that's doing this, you will rise above everybody else. Uh, I'm not a better designer or a better developer than anybody else. I'm a, I'm a hack at best on most of these things. I'm self-taught PHP, but I had more web development clients and more web design clients than most of my friends because I just showed up. I was honest, like, hey, I don't know how to do this. I'm stuck. Give me a couple more days. Uh, You know, so we would just constantly win new clients. And then we got referrals that way. Like, oh, they're just, they're super honest. They're able to help us no matter what we did. Uh, So yeah, super little secret, but just, you know, be there, show up, do what you say you're going to do and deliver and you'll go far. That's where most people, you know, that's what separates most people from, from winning and failing.
1: Yeah, I, I agree wholeheartedly, right? We've both probably had people where uh, they've come to us and they said, yeah, the last, the last guy just disappeared. Um, right? Well, and, you uh, left
0: money on the table. Why? Yeah, What's right. wrong with
1: him? <laughs> I don't know where all these people are going, but, uh, you know, when I, I tell my clients, if you hire me, I am here till the end. Um, so, you know, I think that's really good. Show up, do honest work. Matt, I really appreciate your time today. Where can people find you?
0: Uh, a number of places. I'm on Twitter and Instagram as Matt Ada, just A-D-A. Um, factor1studios.com is my, my company site. So that's probably awesome. the, the the couple best places for me.
1: Awesome. I will link to those and everything we talked about in the show notes over at howibuilt.it. Matt, thanks again for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. Thanks, Joe. Thanks so much to Matt for joining me Today, talking about cash flow, managing your money, and figuring out how much you need to make to survive as a business. I will definitely link to the calculator he mentioned over in uh, in the show notes. All of the show notes you can find them at howibuiltit slash one six one. I also love how he talks about the importance of contracts. Last week, we spoke to Nathan Ingram, who just launched his own contract over at monstercontracts.com. So I love that Matt is reinforcing that. And of course, his trade secrets show up and do honest work. Do exactly what you're going to say you're going to do. I think that is so important because good marketing is fine, but reputation is finer. Now, if you liked this episode, be sure to subscribe to it in your podcast player of choice. Leave a rating and review over at Apple Podcasts, it really helps people discover the show. If you want to learn a little bit more about what I'm doing these days with my courses and my memberships, over at the show notes page at howibuilt.it161, you can get a free PDF on five tools to help you build websites faster. And who doesn't want to do that, right? So uh, definitely check that out. Again, the link is howibuilt.it161. Thank you so, so, so much for listening. And until next time, get out there and build something.